Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. This looks not bad. This looks fine. It's at a good level. And it's okay, not there we go. spiking or anything, as far as I can tell. Gotcha. All right, well, I'm good Spiked to go, dude. There. Uh, <laughs> How's it going, little guy? You ready to start recording? Is you all good? Yeah, is this is this how you want to do it? This is how I want to do the whole thing, yeah, man. You know, I, I what an unflattering angle. It's, <laughs> I, it, it truly, I mean, we're going to keep this PG, but. <laughs> yeah, keep it G. No, no F-bombs for one thing. Oh, boy. I Okay, let's, you know what? I think the best thing we can do right now, just do a really quick mm-hmm. and dirty intro and we'll just dive into this let's just make it quick you know you know again keep it pg it doesn't need to be dirty for my part oh okay okay just quick just quick (laughs) really quick not remotely dirty hi kids welcome to the scooby dudes a podcast where two best friends talk about their favorite meddling kids that's that's the best you could do huh for for our introduction that's the cleanest i could do do you want dude you want me to do it dirty a little bit, honestly, now that you've kind of... <laughs> now that you know that's an option, just to, to choose... Let's do a quick save and then explore that the, dialogue yeah, this, option. It's, it's, it's a choose-your-own-adventure exactly. book. I've, I've put my finger where I really want to go, and I'm checking to see how I die. Okay, but watch out. This this book has an autosave function, so it'll flick your finger back out and, uh, and, and re-put it back into another spot. But... Hi, kids. Welcome to the Scooby-Dudes, where two best friends <laughs> talk about their favorite meddling kids. And I and I stopped at both points to let you finish the dumb dog too. Could you right, give me and their dumb dog too? Could, no, I could you give me a clean and their dumb dog too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that first one was the clean one. Okay, there we are. Um, it. I feel like I never really did a, a lot of voice work when we were recording the podcast uh, full time, as you call it. Mm-hmm. But now, now perhaps that you're doing um, readings for a separate project. I'm guessing it's a little bit more uh, something that's at the top of your mind, or you're bringing that skill here. It's it's genuinely it's very enjoyable. Actually, I I it's it's not just the reading, but the opportunity to do voices is actually um, has been quite quite delightful. This uh, this romantic book that you're reading through um, live on video via Facebook to all of us, I really enjoy that. And I got to say, you do a great job of bringing life to the characters and just delivering meaning through your uh, your emotion and your tone. I'm really impressed at how you're just reading it and and delivering it line by line. What what I'm really and and we're gonna get into the episode, but. I, I just want to impart one final thought. The fact that people enjoyed it enough to laugh out loud. Every time you do this, there's at least one point where both me and Ibti Sam, my partner, are both crying laughing. Like, tears and, uh, and the inability to speak laughing. Which, um, uh, at the other end of experiences, is this movie that we're about to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't actually... Oh, don't what, a, what a seamless, what a flawless <laughs> segue. I was looking for it. And I'm like, where's the off ramp oh, to this word. this thing I pivoted this onto? I uh, we're we're here to talk about S C O O B exclamation point Scoob the movie that came out. We uh, are going to be taking this episode to discuss the first half because it is a true there's it, there's a wealth of content and discussion and conversation to be had. There's so much. I haven't shown you this, Evan, but here here is my um, clipboard full of post-it notes of notes for the first half of the movie. <laughs> I, I wanted you to keep backing it up and for it to, to, for it to be a bulletin board at, at some point. I step out of the way and you see the red string, yeah. Um, but no, I took way too many notes for the first half of this movie, as I sometimes do. And then mercifully, I saw an email when I took a break from Evan asking, like, hey, do you want to do this in two parts? 
Thank you. Thank you, Evan up in heaven. Um, Here, I here's do. the reason I'm very grateful. I uh, fell asleep after that midway <laughs> point of the movie for anywhere between five to seven minutes. So it gets very hazy. So I'm, I'm very happy to. We'll just cover the first half. Uh, and then we'll do the second half at, at a later date. That sounds perfect. But uh, Scoob, it just came out. It was a home theater release. Um, and uh, not to not to spoil anything, but apparently it did really well. Topped the very limited box offices that were out at the time. I, I personally uh, rented it on YouTube. It cost me, I guess the Canadian price is like 25 bucks or something to rent. But it's for 48 hours, which is great because I'm okay. going to keep watching it. You're going to revisit that. That's fair. So, so let's do this, right? Because this is, at this point audience we're still in a spoiler free zone yeah who who knows what this movie contains who knows what it's about um so so here are my first impressions well well, you know that meme what is it It, i guess it's a it's a sports related meme they had us in the first half not gonna lie (laughs) that's kind of how i feel about um feel about this movie is there are moments early on where i was like i was so in it they truly like owned me like, like they had me in the in the palm of their hands, and I was like, "Take me anywhere." Oh, Evan, I think we're probably gonna talk about it's the same moment at one point. But within the first fifteen minutes of this movie, it brought me to a point where I was welling up a little bit with tears, and I wanted to stop the movie. So deep was my sense of fulfillment. I wanted to turn it off, not because I hated it, but because I thought, "This is as good as it gets. I don't want to give you a chance to ruin it." Um, but it's funny you say they had us in the first half. That's typically something you say when you've finished the whole game. We don't know what the second right. half of this movie contains. I, uh, I hear they had us in the first half of the first half, not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> the first half. Okay, yeah, I got, I'm with you there. Um, yeah, I, my overall impression of this movie, I think it's probably fundamentally broken. I think it hangs some big hats on some unsteady hooks, but it has some elements that to me are really fun. There's fun moments. And it has some story elements that I think are really nice, like, interestingly conceived. So, um, I'm just going to do a little bit of, pre- if you don't mind, a little bit Please, of preliminary uh, background. So, Scoob, I'm reading right off of right off of Wikipedia. Uh, computer animated mystery comedy film. Debatable. The, the comedy, it is actually quite funny. I'll say that right off the bat. Is it a mystery? I don't think so. I, I got to the point in the movie, I think a bit past where we're going to talk about, where we realized, oh, there was a mystery, but if you only know there's a mystery once it's explained, there's no mystery. I'm sorry, go ahead. Please keep going. This film was originally supposed to be directed by, uh, Frick, what's his name? It's, it's Kristen Bell's Dax Kristen Bell's Shepherd. Husband. Right. I'm, I'm no armchair expert, but I think it was Dax Shepard. Um, and it, it was actually ended up being directed by Tony Cervoni. That's how I'm going to pronounce his name, because I, I like the, the little rhyme there. I, th- I think it was going to be co-directed by Dax originally, so I'm not sure if Tony was attached to, from the start or who. So, but, t- yeah. T- Tony Cervoni is a director, is, is a veteran Warner Brothers animation director. He has done hella Tom and Cherry films. Um, and the screenplay was by Adam Steichel, who truly has a wealth of consonants in his... Uh, <laughs> In his um, in his surname, and here are here are the uh, here are a few of the films that uh, Adam Seikiel, uh has to his name. There was Due Date, which I believe starred Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis, uh, if I am correct. There's um, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Ship. Uh, there's Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul. He was uncredited, so I don't know why I said I should have checked that. Uh, there was Rampage. Rampage was based on, I think, an arcade game that made its way onto consoles. I, I think it's Rampage, isn't it? 
Rampage? Carnival. Carnival. <laughs> I just, I need to roast you for that real quick before our listeners get to it. The, the point is, I don't, to me, this guy doesn't have the qual. no offense. I don't believe he has the qualifications to write a Scooby-Doo movie. Yeah, the writer doesn't really know, and I'm not sure if this was Dax's kind of baby initially in the concept phase, because the concept is a big thing here. Here's the last thing I'm going to do before we truly, really, really get mm. into it. And, and, I, and I took this right from Wikipedia and I put it into my notes. I put it in quotes. The film, so this is in the pre-production phase. The film was intended to lead into a cinematic universe based on Hanna-Barbera properties. It, it wanted to be the MCU of Hanna-Barbera. Hanna-Barbera wanted some of that sweet, sweet MCU money. And granted, a sliver of that is a fortune that can last you a lifetime. And, and that's clear right off the bat um, in this film, which I think... Like, without further ado, let's let's dive in. Let's get into it. We open up with Scooby and Shaggy's, um, or really, Scooby and Shaggy meeting for the first time as little kids. So this was all actually, um, it, it is quite interesting because they really presented the first chunk of the movie to us in the trailer. Like, Scooby and Shaggy meeting are right in the trailer. Um, they're both young. It's not... And oh, we are going to get into the, to the voice work, but it's it's not yet Will Forte who's voicing Shaggy. I have so many voice notes. And look, there's some voice actors doing incredible work in this movie. I've got huge ups to give. Um, for the moment, Shaggy's voiced by a kid. My big note on Shaggy at the start is he sounds so weirdly normal as a kid. He's, uh, he's young Sheldon, he's, I, I believe. Is he? Oh, that makes so much sense. He sounds so bland, so forgettable. There's... In some ways, I think a lack of personality in Shaggy beyond this kind of inferiority that's poorly communicated. He's, he's very lonely. Uh, so it, it initially starts off, I'm going to run through this. Mm-hmm. Scooby um, steals what a cop calls a tube of compressed meat from a hero, hero store, or a mm-hmm. gyro for uh, the Americans, I guess. And Shaggy is on, is on his own, and he's listening to music on a, his smartphone. Show me the meaning of being alone. Now, for that part that I just sung, Shaggy's cool. He's like, I love this song. All right, we're getting into it. Show me the meaning of being alone. And then Lee. And it sounds, it looks, Shaggy <laughs> has to look like he got slapped in the face, like he was attacked. Like, lonely? I'm lonely. Uh, like, it's, the way it tracks that is so, <laughs> I'll say this once and then I'll drop it. The pacing and timing of this movie is really inconsistent. And it, it causes some jokes that could have landed to fall for me. This is supposed to be Scooby and Shaggy in the past, right? And to be fair, Mm -hmm. we don't know how old uh, present-day Mystery Inc. is supposed to be. But to have a smartphone at that age sort of implies that this movie takes place in the future. When Shaggy was a kid, he already had smart a smartphone that looks like he's switching between different apps to listen to different lonely songs, and he's frustrated by that. That's the gag. That means that when we fast forward like at least 10 years, five, six years at minimum. I feel like it has to be closer to a decade, actually. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And because this movie has so many MCU, Marvel, or just superhero elements that are high technology, um, I think it supports that like near future um, reality theory. Shaggy's lonely, as, as, we've, as, we've, uh, as we've observed already. Um, he is standing in front of a snack store that says Casey's Creations. Which is obviously a nice, a nice little reference to Casey Kasem, um, mm-hmm. and and he's like you said, he just wants a friend. Um, he actually tunes into he he tunes to his uh his like motivational speech app because all of these, <laughs> all of these apps are specifically 
uh, like he was listening to like an 80s app, like a 90s app, like a 60s app. Um, this app has Ira Glass talking about the importance of friendship. There's not, it's not a really graceful cameo, though not the least graceful cameo that the movie has to offer so far. So <laughs> that's how that shiver. Shaggy has promised his mother that he is going to the beach to meet with friends, but he doesn't have any. He makes them out of sand, um, and one of the sand piles that he turns into one of his friends, Scooby is hiding behind with the meat. They, they connect over Shaggy offering Scooby some food, Scooby um, giving Shaggy a little bit of the, sh the, the it's not shawarma meat, is it? Uh, it's, it's hero meat, but it's like the same, yeah. it's the same concept. It's all just okay. meat on rotating spits. Scooby scrapes a little bit off and gives it to him, which is a little bit like, you couldn't keep Shaggy vegetarian here? Like, that's oh, disappointing. And, and Shaggy even says in that scene, like, oh, sorry, I don't have the liverwurst. I'm sorry, I'm doing a voice for Shaggy. Shaggy has no voice in this yet. Then he has full voice in a couple of minutes. I, I, for a second there, I held out hope. Because it is the year 2020, and people are trying to mm -hmm. eat more sustainably. I, I, mean, I mean, like, I eat like a mostly like vegetarian and vegan diet. Um, that we might be able to keep Shaggy, as per the wishes of Casey Kasem, a vegetarian. I, I'm even still holding out hope that, um, and, I, and this has probably already been contradicted and I just didn't notice it, that that was just Shaggy as a kid and he came into vegetarianism later in life. Maybe. <sighs> Maybe. There, so there's a little detail, I guess, um, and this is consistent with like, the show and stuff, and they did it on the live-action movie. Scooby and Shaggy, they eat, like, gross foods. They eat, like, weird food combinations. So he says, he apologizes to Scooby. He says, oh, I'm sorry. This sandwich has gummy worms, tater tots, and ketchup leather in it. Ketchup leather being the dried bits of ketchup that tend to form around the, uh, the lid of a ketchup bottle. And I don't want to be pedant pedantic, though I tend to be. I looked at this sandwich. Here's the things that I did see on the sandwich. Fresh tomatoes. Fresh cucumber. Dill some sort of cheese maybe like an american like a white cheddar or something and sprinkles i didn't see any of the and so i think this this is like a little bit of like a like a like a screenwriter like art direction kind of like mismatch i i hate to say it but it felt like the different elements of this movie were very much not operating in concert there's a lot of parts where the the emotion of the dialogue just doesn't match the 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 motion that we're seeing in the characters Certainly the emotion on their faces, and, and sometimes even the lip-syncing is really off, like in a, a dub kind of way. And you know, I know movies are made for international audiences, maybe that's one, uh, one thing that helps them to do that, is to have a little bit more inclusive mouth shapes. But it's, it was incongruous frequently. And, and here, I know we're really taking our time. Um, we'll get to minute two any second now. What I do want to highlight or, or spotlight about this moment, Shaggy says as an aside to Scooby, because the cop's like, is this your dog? And um, Shaggy says, would you like to be? And Scooby says, I, <clears throat> I like that. <laughs> I like that. Okay, Scooby, you, you can do it quick. You don't have to do it dirty. I, and to me, the problem is, look, all, so Frank Walker has been voicing Scooby-Doo for decades now. As he does here. Let's just get it out. Frank Walker voices young Scooby to old Scooby, all Scooby. And Frank Walker is a legend. Like, he does phenomenal work. The original voice of Fred as well. I'm a huge fan of Frank Welker. But I, I think what they, what the directors or whatever told him when he was doing this performance was make Scooby-Doo more understandable. And what, how, what do you think about that? I don't like it. Hmm. Too understandable, you think? Because I think the thing is, there are two gags, or I mean, this isn't a gag, but this is a conversation that he has with Shaggy. Um, 
where his voice is is directly addressed. So he says, "Oh, my name's my name's Norval, but people call me Shaggy." And Scooby goes, "Raggy," and he's like, "No, Shaggy," mm-hmm. um, because Scooby. Oh no, Scooby mispronounces some things, but he doesn't mispronounce enough that you need that kind of read back to understand him because in the past like like i'm gonna keep going back to james gunn's scooby-doo the 2002 film because what they did in that movie is scooby-doo would say lines and then shaggy would act as an interpreter and that in and of itself was was its own joke it kind of spoke to their closeness as well because shaggy understands scooby on a level that we as the audience don't even and certainly no one else on screen but in this most everyone can understand scooby because he really just talks like it's just a, a gruff. I, I don't know. It has. It's just. A, it's a normal voice, but with like Scooby Doo esque qualities. But it's not really like Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. We we've really fast forwarded. There is one little detail when they are in Shaggy's room, where Shaggy has almost like a shrine to a superhero named the Blue Falcon. Blue Falcon. Very very brief side note for Dino Mutt also exists. Uh, it's Halloween, which I actually think it's a nice detail. Because if you freeze frame Shaggy's smartphone when he's at Venice Beach, California, which is where he meets Scooby, the date on the phone actually says October 31st. So it's a nice little, it, it, it's all on the same day. You know, I'm glad you mentioned this. Before we get to the Halloween switch, I just want to mention a couple of sight gags in Shaggy's room that I jotted down. Um, one was that he has a, um, a Dagwood drawing up on his wall. Uh, the other is that his clock is at 645 which obviously four plus five equals nine, 69, 69. So that's worth noting. And then we're at Halloween. Um, <laughs> where they're, <laughs> where they're, they're leaving the house dressed up as Shaggy is um, Falcon, the blue Falcon, uh, Scooby's dressed as Dino Mutt. Um, they're going trick-or-treating house to house. They get some candy. That's pretty much the take of it. The bullies that came along were my perhaps biggest laugh of the movie. I, I dubbed them very considerate juggalos. I, I dubbed them anti-candy bullies heart because I loved it. Um, they, they have skateboards. They snatch the sack of candy. They're sort of riding around them and they say, don't you know Halloween is a marketing ploy by big corn syrup? <laughs> and Scooby's like, yeah, we're okay with that. I'm Ooh. sorry. I, I should have let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you had shake your head like, oh, dude, dude, don't. Why'd you do that? Um, I, I really thought the anti-candy bullies were a fantastic touch. The fact that they're, they, as they ride off, they're like, your cavities will thank us. They're, they're like Robin Hoods that steal candy from kids who would be better off without it. Certainly dogs who would be better off without it. Yeah, they, they're just they're very con- considerate. Yeah, the considerate juggalos. Um, what they do is they toss the candy in through a, the quintessential Scooby-Doo haunted house. The, the old Randy house, I'm sure, is not what it was, but that's what I just said. The old Randy yep. house? That's uh, the old that's what you Randy went with. house. <laughs> Shaggy says, let's get in there, quick and dirty, let's get in and out. All right, last callback. Um, But that is where we meet FDV, which is what I always summarize them as in this movie because they're they're like a trip, they're triplets, they're always together. Fred, Daphne, and Velma show up. Fred, as a literal white knight. A a very gallant, dashing little knight. Uh, We have Daphne as Wonder Woman for a little bit of that corporate synergy because uh, Warner Brothers DC kind of wanting the same thing right now. Um, mm-hmm. Fun little gag. I actually like this gag quite a bit because Velma is uh, the Honorable Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes, Honorable RGB, BG. Um, Shaggy says, what Harry Potter character are you? She says, I'm a Supreme Court Justice. He says, oh, Slytherin. I, you like that bit. I kind of okay. did. I kind of <laughs> did. 
I, I thought I liked, I loved Shaggy being like, oh, which Harry Potter house are you in? Because it's like, oh, this, this version of Shaggy's kind of up to date. He knows Harry Potter, but he's still ignorant. That's kind of his character. But him taking this very, like, ignorant, empty shot at the Supreme Court in general, especially one of the most upstanding members of the Supreme Court, is, it felt, felt like really lazy writing to me. Okay, I will say, if I have any problems with it, it's because it seems too, it makes Shaggy too well-read and too clever. Exactly. I think it's, it's primarily a character problem for Shaggy that I think has the side negative effect of outing its writer's kind of ignorance and laziness with this kind of joke. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go kind of harsh on this because I really feel like that was, it was weak. <sighs> okay, so, the, so what you're saying, what we're saying is at the outset, the joke is quite good. Oh, you're a Harry Potter character. You're wearing this like long flowing robe. I agree. Yep. I like it. I think it's good. It tracks with the character. Then we hard pivot the character. We, we veer off of that road to plow into a lame joke that somebody wanted to shoehorn in this. I, I didn't see it as political, more like all politicians are Slytherins, I think is the idea. That itself is a political statement. That's, that's a both sidesing in a way that is very political and, in my opinion, is not helpful. But I, I do think this, I, I really love the setup here where he meets Fred, Daphne, and Velma. Obviously, the candy just went into a haunted house. They're all going to go in there together. This is kind of their first mystery, and I think it really works. So they go in, um, lovely little quip, I thought from Daphne, where she says, this living room feels more like a dying room. <laughs> I missed that. That's good. Gina Rodriguez. No, not at this stage. Never mind. I don't know who plays this young. Uh, it's Amanda Seyfried. Uh, oh, that's right. Daphne. Excuse me. I, I, I heard Velma. Or her adult version is Amanda Seyfried. An adult version. I'm wrong on many levels right now. Um, whatever. There's a scary ghost that appears, just kind of like a quintessential... It's an older white man. <laughs> older white, like, older white man baby. You know, like, where their skin is starting to sag like it was at the start? He looks like Cousin Fester, but dead. And he's, like, zipping around through the, the, the room. Velma points out to Freddy that there's, he's attached to a wire that's going around on the ceiling through this, like, kind of high-tech mechanism. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know how high-tech it was exactly. I don't know. I don't think that's easy. That doesn't come standard with any house. You know, I'm, you know what? I'm going to... Luke, I, I'm gonna pull out some. I'm really gonna dazzle you with some ropes and pulleys. There's some really advanced technology. Wait a minute, but it only takes this much force to lift a bucket that heavy? <laughs> it's not possible. All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, but they 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 catch the ghost. If that's not too summative, it is in fact Mr. Randy of the Randy it's House. Not Randy, I wrote it down. <laughs> what was it, Raunchy? Honestly, it, Randy and Raunchy are my only guesses. It was Mr. Rigby. Okay. Not far off. Not, not too bad. Um, I, I like the line where they, they find out that he's got all this stolen stuff in the back, and Shaggy's like, I found the world's smallest Walmart. I, I, I see that we're really, we're really butting heads on what is and isn't funny <laughs> in this movie. We'll agree on no two jokes. I, you know what? I knew that was a lame joke. It didn't like, I was, I was like, you know, I think it's funny. I like it. So we have been, we've been dragging our feet for the first part of this movie. This next part is the part that I said quite early on. They landed me hook, line, and sinker. Like Same I was here. All in. Oh my dude! And you know what? I, I hate to say it, but this next part that we love, we're kind of aging ourselves a bit, or we're showing our preferences because it's a really indulgent f montage for the fans of the original. Oh, I don't like that you point. I I hadn't I'm connected that, but it is it is the definition of indulgent. It is so fan fan service. Fan service. Maybe not even unfair to say, even though I'm more used to that in anime terms. <laughs> but it, I I'll say it still got me hook, line, and sinker. I love this montage where it's basically the gang 
going through all their classic villiam, vil, Villiams, uh, <laughs> named William, their villains, but in an HD kind of redone, and, and we're getting it just kind of a quick cut with a new redone Scooby-Doo Where Are You theme song. To, to be more specific, it is the Scooby-Doo Where Are You opening, mm-hmm. shot for shot, almost. Almost. They they did, I think, the exact same picture of that one skull with the glowing eyes. It, it Yeah, that is exact. But it starts out with them as kids, which I thought was genius. Mm-hmm. So they're going through, there's like the space kook, there's like the, the, the night from What a Night for a Night, episode one, season one. There's the goon or whatever that one dude who's just a creepy guy with a trench coat is. And uh, But there is one shot that they splice in there. And I think it's very telling. There's one shot and it's a Fred on a beach having a, a nice like moonlit picnic with the mystery machine. He mouths, I love you. And you can absolutely read it on his lips. And he does like a heart in the air and sends it off to the person he's sitting with. But I actually, per- I personally found that really jarring. Really? That, uh, that, that quick cut of like, by the way, Fred loves his van. It was his van he was sitting with. Well, because none of the other characters really have... Because if, if they were going to, like, remix it, mm-hmm. then you would think that each character would have their own little shot. Like, oh, this is something about them. Oh, Velma does this, or Scooby and Shaggy does, do this. But they're just like, I think we need more for Fred. So here's Fred, and he loves his van. Evan, come hell or high water, we will find a joke to agree on in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, man? I, I mean, love that bit. <laughs> I, I don't, it, just, it just seemed... <laughs> Like they needed, they needed to give the character something more, and so they forced it into like what's a perfectly good montage. I I can't argue. You're entirely correct. You flipped my opinion on this moment that I love just because you know what? It served me as a fan too well. It was so indulgent. It was junk food, and I ate it up. But you know what? I gotta say, where that montage lands up with like Scooby, rah, Shaggy, ah, White Knight, blah, Scooby and Shaggy jumping out of flower pots and running in the air, and then. When it's all of them gathered around, I can't remember if it's Fred or Velma holding a book, and it's it's this perfect take on that original moment where they're all looking around, and then the next frame they're all looking up at you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. But reimagined in HD and seeing all of their now adult eyes turn towards me and look at me, I felt like I was frozen in my seat. Like I felt so seen, so comfortable, so so at home. I I wanted to stop the the movie and just stop and say like I got what I needed. That was it. Which is a real cop-out, because again, it's up to this point, it's just been a little bit of backstory on the story we already know, and then reliving those beats. It is It is just like the new Lion King movie, right? It's just, we've seen this before, but you're showing it to us, as you said, in HD, in high definition. But to its credit, that's, not, that thing, that's a smart way to play it, I think, which is, it built in the canon that we're used to, and now we're going beyond that. It's got a little bit of what came before, and now we're seeing what came after. The content of what comes after is its own thing, but... I really love this moment. This is the the most I've loved the movie right now. Before we move on, it it is a definite peak. Everything that has come before is established canon. It's all actually taken place, and because of that, they're looking for bigger and better things. They want to expand. They want to make money. They're adults. Basically, yeah. Fred, Daphne, and Velma are all like, "Hey, let's make a job out of this." Like, there's a great gag at the beginning when they bust their, they bust their first perp. They're like, "Well, can't be that many people like this running around in costumes." And then we hit the montage. It, I landed for me. I'm sure you hated it, <laughs> um, but but. Um, and so, um, like, how are we going to do this? We need a seed investor. We need someone to put money into this business that we're creating. <sighs> Who's the, who's the investor? The investor is Simon Cowell of America's Got Talent. 
and American Idol fame. And American Idol. Is it, Ameri- is it both? I don't even know. Uh, I, I actually think he's on both shows. I'm, I'm sure he is. He's like the one, the one person I'm aware of from those shows. Such a clunky cameo. I don't want to spend. I don't want to drive this into the ground. I, I want to spend time on the stuff. I do I want to. Okay, fair enough. Well, dude, I gotta say it's clunky, but I loved it. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> Every. <laughs> it was so bad. Also, the lip syncing of Simon's like words to his voice and the uncanniness of his character design. This we we'll hit some real synergy here, my friend. Here's the thing. Um, my friends, when I, when I was still working in the office, I miss those days, um, we were looking up what Simon Cowell looks like now. He has had an extensive amount of plastic surgery. Whoa. So, um, he, he has these scary little, like, tombstone, like, graveyard tombstone teeth, like, little tic-tac teeth. It's, his smile, it's like he can't smile naturally anymore. He kind of looks like one of those, like, cat people. Not from the movie Cats. I mean, like, people have, like, done plastic surgery to look like cats. Do you see him right now? I, I didn't realize this, and this is, I feel a little bad now for saying his character design looked bad, because that was the live-action Simon Cowell. They, <laughs> they green-screened him into the movie. We saw a, a non-animated version of him. I, okay, I hate, I hate in animated movies when they have cameos from real-life people, because the real-life people are never cartoony enough. Yeah, it's, they, they always have to go too feature-specific. In a movie that, frankly, lives way too much in Uncanny Valley. This movie's every extra character is uncanny. It's it's like an Archie comics when it's like, oh, the Archie's uh, crossover with Glee, and all the Glee people are drawn just a little bit differently. They're, they're not, like, really done in the house style because they need to see... Yeah, everyone has too many lines around their mouths and eyes. Simon Cowell looks like a Shrek background character. Ooh, ooh, ah! Yeah, zing zang zoom. That's that's. <laughs> Ouch! Owie! Owie! Ooh, my bones. <laughs> that is. Most of this movie looks like it could have been done by the people who did Shrek the year after they did Shrek. <laughs> um, and you know what? I, that's a little mean. Some of the textures and some elements do look really great, and it has some fun set pieces. I can't take that away. I actually think that um, for the most part, Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy, Scooby. I think that their designs are pretty clean. I think Fred is the worst of, of the bunch, if I'm being honest. Fred looks the boringest, I think. But you know what? I, I'm not going to hold the character designs of the principal cast against anybody. It looks different than I'm used to, but that's what updating means. We've been here for it for many iterations. I'm here for it again. The part that I'm not here for is the voices. But first, let's talk Simon. He's there to be their business partner, but he doesn't want to be their business partner with these dead weights of Scooby and Shaggy hanging around. Fred's the muscle. He's the tank, they say. Um, Daphne's the, um, the, the social... Empath. Is what he calls her, actually. The empath, my term, the healer. Velma, the DPS. Um, she's also the the smarts, the technology. Velma, okay. Velma's the mage, okay? If we're going to talk Dungeons and Dragons, Velma's the mage. Okay, yeah, you're right. Um, Daphne is a, a bard, I guess? I don't know what, that's, I guess, it's charisma. I, I, I was going to say Scooby and Shaggy would be the bard, but by the way they sing to Simon Cowell, we know that can't be the case. <laughs> Um, they sing, they sing, um, Shallow, they sing Shallow by Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. All right. Um, I, I need to take a, let, let's real quick, any further thoughts on Simon Cowell? Because I need to talk about voices. It's, it's burning. In my- Simon Cowell sucks. I hated that he was in this movie. He sucks. He exists here just to prompt the gang to say like, you shouldn't you leave Scooby and Shaggy behind if you want to move forward with your life? Because Scooby and Shaggy are not really invested in the future. He, sa- he says that a group is as strong as its weakest link. And if Scooby and Shaggy are a part of the group, he cannot invest in them. Um, and that's kind of driving home like Scooby and Shaggy feeling the sense of inferiority or being left out. Shaggy, especially because that's, I guess, an established part of his character. Can we talk voices? 
Uh, Gina Rodriguez as Velma is completely fine. I will make a note later on in this film about one of her line readings. Amanda Seyfried is a perfectly adequate Vel- uh, Daphne. I thought I thought Daphne was uh, good to, to even very good. I think she really captured Daphne. I think Gina Rodriguez did fine to great as Velma. Um, Fred, what do you think about Fred before I go? Because as you know, Fred has historically been my favorite as voiced by Frank Welker. I, I personally, I'm on record as being quite a quite a large fan of Zac Efron. Back to his High School Musical days, I think I think he's quite funny. I, I think he's a very uh, competent comedic actor. He doesn't give a lot in this performance. This feels like a very safe performance from him, which is a bit disappointing. But oh, excuse me. And and if anything, it wasn't Zac Efron enough. Zac Efron, I felt like was trying to play blank slate, like just kind of really simple, straight down the middle, but not not so much so that it was interesting, which is what Frank Welker does. He does so normal that it's it's interesting. Now is the part where we get to because I've I've gone into Scooby and how I don't love. I don't love the direction Frank Welker got. I love Frank Welker. I don't love the direction he got. We have to talk about... Here's where I feel like you're you're arguing that the exact shade of forest green is not the, to your liking. What are you talking about? Where Because that's I think this the shades of difference between the Scooby we've had and the Scooby we have now and the Shaggy we had versus the Shaggy we have now, I, I guess that's the thing. I couldn't even... I couldn't pick at the, the speck of dust in Scooby's eye because of the plank and Shaggy's. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, it, it has been, apparently it's ever since, um, ever since Shrek, I think Shrek is what really, dream, Shrek as a film is a meme, but has also changed the landscape of, like, children's programming. Prior, prior to Shrek, and a little bit of very, very quick and, quick and dirty history for, for all of our <laughs> listeners, um, if you take a movie like, you take a movie like Aladdin, or like Beauty and the Beast, or, or like Mulan, or whatever, they did not have big name actors. These were people who did, vo- they were actors but they weren't really known. They weren't like A-listers or B-listers. Shrek was like, we're going to take Mike Myers. We're going to take Cameron Diaz. We're going to take Eddie Murphy. I just read an article about this, that it's kind of the first celebrity, or it's, it's, it's really carried by its celebrities rather than just its animation and just its story. It's a lot of reference-heavy, uh, just, yeah, like pop culture-reliant media. But but the idea that you could attach an A-list celebrity's name to an animated feature was, like, pretty big. Mm-hmm. And that it would be bankable, as it so clearly was. I, I'm, you know, I said Shrek. It might have been Robin Williams in, in Aladdin. Sort of, sort of, he, he paved the way to Shrek, and then Shrek is what kind of catapulted it. Mm. But the whole thing is, the idea has been moving forward that you attach big enough names to these movies, and... Maybe, they might not be swaying the kids necessarily, but they are swaying like the adults. Sometimes it's the kids. Sometimes it's like Zendaya was like in that Bigfoot movie, and kids know who Zendaya is. Zendaya is Michi. I know. I just is Will Forte enough of a name that they had to go with him instead of Shaggy or instead of uh, um, Matthew Lillard? I I want to say this that I think they they take a shot at Shaggy's voice later on in the movie. I think Velma is the one who says like somebody says. Shaggy sounds like a middle-aged man trying to sound like a kid. And I think this movie's trying to make everyone sound more like uh, actual kids, more more conversational, more realistic. Shaggy goes way off the deep end, away from the original tradition that we've known, and away from believability, away from listenability, away from everything. I'm so sorry. I, I cannot stand Will Forte Shaggy. And it, it doesn't help that I've I've never been a Will Forte fan, never anything against him. I've just never, never really gotten into him. 
he, so what Matthew Lillard would do, and I, I swear we've talked about this in the past, is we have, yeah. he he would when he was auditioning for Shaggy in the 2002 James Gunn film, he would yell until he got a little hoarse, and that sort of created this this voice breaking quality to his to his dialogue. It's kind of a it's kind kind of a constant voice break where it's not like these wild hey where it's like a goose or anything all the way throughout, but it's almost a soft break. It's it's kind of a warm break when when Lillard does the original Casey Kasem Shaggy. Whereas Will Forte just it's just high pitched. Like that's it. It's so one note. It's just high pitched squeals. I when he sings the sha la la or shallow sha la la lo or whatever, it's so aggressively bad, it's actually not funny to me. It's um it's just it's painful. And then I realized that that must have been his first attempt at Shaggy because he carried that read through for the rest of the film. Like, it's all way, way too much. That is hilariously accurate, where it's just like, you would think that him and Scooby singing Shallow would be funny because it's like, oh, they're such bad singers, but really he just sounds like he does in the entire movie. Yeah, he does, and it's oh, it's so aggressively, like, for it to make sense, and he's, oh, I'm not even going to get into it. Scooby and Shaggy are affronted by Simon Cowell's criticism of them. They go to a place called the Takamoto Bowl, which I thought was just a fantastic reference to Iwao Takamoto, who designed the original uh, Mystery Inc. Uh, character designs. I thought that was just great. Solid. I'm loving these drops. These are fantastic. And good on you for uh, for bringing them up. Honestly, I have only one note on this whole bowling alley sequence up until we meet Blue Falcon and get into the Falcon Fury. And that's that I like the Scooby improv gag. Scooby and Shaggy are sad. They're bowling. Um, the bowling balls and the bowling pins transform into these robots who have a great design. They're, they're well-designed. They're charming. They're a little, like, a little generic, I think, in the era following um, Despicable Me, in my mind. I just, I don't want to agree with you on this. <laughs> I'm, I, can't, I can't bring myself to do it. I, but the, the, set, the action that follows there is, to me, a little forgettable, where they're kind of, like, getting chased by these... Um, these robot bowling pins and bowling balls until they do a Scooby gag and jump behind the counter and start trying to take people's orders. They do the Scooby dupe, which Scooby dupe. longtime Thank listeners you. will know from our podcast is when Scooby and Shaggy or other members of the gang, they, oh, I, some rust in these joints, man. Oh, we had a, we had patter for this. They, they, they act as care. They, <laughs> What is it that we used to say? I don't remember, but we said it every time. Never trying to say it the same way twice, but always saying it the same way. But Scooby and Shaggy will um, pull the wool over the monster's eyes by pretending to be often members of the service industry. Um, <laughs> essential I mean, workers, if you will. Essential workers, yep. Um, which will put the monster on the back heel. I'm getting back into it. I'm remembering it now. <laughs> the, I, the monster will be at ease. He'll because be, he'll be in a, in a, in a, lulled into a sense of comfort. Because of the social pressures to adhere to this situation. Yes, yes, we got it. Evan and I are fist pumping like we just landed something on the moon. <laughs> um, and that is, listeners, the Scooby-Doop. It typically ends with the Scooby and Shaggy breaking character or the monster realizing what's going on and then rawr, chasing him again. But, but then they make their escape. And I think... My problem here, they they dive behind a counter like they're, they're waiters. They take the orders from the what are initially Scorpion-esque, like Scorponok for Transformers fans out there-esque robots. They turn into these cute, adorably little, almost minion-esque uh, designs. 
But but I, you know I'm I'm being a little unfair there. They're not wearing overalls. Their robot designs look more like diapers on babies. Like they're very infantile robots. I'm not. I'm, that's not me reading into no, it. I'm very, very confident. Accurate. That's it. So so they do this whole thing like oh what are you guys ordering? The robots are like very cute. I think the thing is because the robots turn cute, it doesn't have the same. It doesn't hit like if they were trying to serve like these scorpion robots or these monsters. Mm-hmm. Do you get what I mean? Like, like they've both changed roles in a way. Instead of only Scooby and Shaggy changing the roles, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't have that uh, that delicious dissonance where we see the monster acting like someone normal. They just become babies, right? It's which, like, oh, this this Bigfoot is being asked to try on these like ski boots. If I can run through the next couple of please actions, do, please. They bust out the back of the bowling alley. They think they're about to die, but they get zapped up in this beam of light, UFO style. Um, in, in the immediate aftermath, I really liked one of the robots getting smashed against the wall and then a dumpster fell on it. Some of the best action in the movie just to kill that one robot. I did not like that. Didn't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I hope part two exists. I hope that we end this on good enough terms to make another half. But they, they get zapped up into the Falcon Fury, which they recognize immediately Scooby-Doo and Shaggy as big blue Falcon fans. This is the Falcon's, uh, ship. You know that I'm a fake fan because I thought that the character of D.D. Skies was created solely for the purpose of adding some diversity to this film. D.D. Skies is is a black woman um, who's voiced by uh, something Clemens, Kiersey Clemens. Kiersey Clemens who, who is exactly I, right. Nice. I've seen some, some good work from. Um, t- to be fair, she is actually an existing Hanna-Barbera character. She was one of the teen angels who was one of Captain Caveman's... I was going to say coterie. I don't think Ooh, that, I, I, I wouldn't that, say that's the wrong word. No, right? I think you're looking for menagerie. Mm, I don't like <laughs> oh, No? Okay. I, I'll say Dee Dee and, and Kiersey Clemens did a great job of voicing. I, I do think there's something to be said for she's made to do a lot of exposition lifting, which for them to throw that on like the, uh, the one black character in the film, not a great look. I won't say that one character of color. Velma is also... A person of color. There are she, three. There are three characters of color in this film. They're all women. They're all women, um, and they're all made to do uh, heavy exposition lifting. Wow! That... As soon as DD shows up, I'm like, "All right, sweet, badass pilot." Falcon Fury doesn't get to have that for himself. Or Blue right Falcon off doesn't... the bat, DD's like, "Oh, you guys are being chased by Dick Dastardly." At which point you're like, "Excuse me, who's we're being chased by who?" And when Dick Dastardly later has a badass introduction, it's undercut by the fact that he was already spoken into existence out of convenience. And she says, oh, he's trying to kill you guys. And they're like, oh, trying to kill us, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's a lot. There's, there's, it's nice because, I don't know. I shouldn't have said it's nice. What happens next is that um, they... Re- when they get into the Falcon Fury proper, the introduction that Blue Falcon gives himself was nice. It was really funny in that, like, MAGA America is great, like, parody. There's, there's a hilarious montage that looks like it was made in, like, Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> Um, just still images floating over the screen. It's so funny because it's all about falcons because he's a blue falcon. So they've sort of, it's, it's a lot of like American imagery, but it's mm-hmm. falcons instead of eagles, which is a really, really great gag. Like that is solid. It's so great. And this movie has some like fun shots taken at American culture that I really enjoyed. Fred's got a great line later as, as that uh, Velma sets up. <clears throat> let's Let's talk really quick about when the falcon does show up. The falcon... Kind of a controversial pick, given some of the Falcon's backstory. What is so? You, what is the Blue Falcon's backstory? Should I should I know this? Oh, when when the Blue Falcon was in a music group when he was coming up, right before he got really big and famous, he beat someone, 
Oh, and, oh, oh, you're telling, saying that when the Blue Falcon was a young man, he beat a Vietnamese man yeah. until that man went blind. And went blind in one eye. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that was obviously not the Falcon's last act of violence. <laughs> <laughs> Assaults were further in that Falcon's future. But I think it's great that the, the Falcon gets a redemption story in this movie. And who better to voice? The Blue Falcon, but uh, Mark Wahlberg himself. Marky Mark uh, with his funky bunch of DD's guys in Dino Mutt. I gotta say, what, what do you think of Blue Falcon's character, independent of the, the context I'm giving to his talent? Uh, I watched this, vi- this movie with my brother last night. We were both very... Mm-hmm. Di- really, we, quick we question. It. Did you watch it all the way through? Yes, I just fell okay. asleep. I, I, I stopped halfway through, so... Oh, but, okay. Well, wonderful. Yeah. I can't, can't mm-hmm. wait until you dig into the rest <laughs> of this little feast. Oh, boy, yeah. Ethan almost, my brother, my youngest brother, almost immediately recognized it, the voice as Mark Wahlberg. Impressive. When I watched this movie for the second time this morning... I put it to 1.5 times speed so that I could get through it faster. And when I did that, it was instantly recognizable. Huh. And I don't know why that is. That's funny. I don't think of Mark Wahlberg as someone with a recognizable voice. And I, I, I hate to say it, but he did, I think, good work as Blue Falcon. I think he brought some good life to it and hit the character notes. But I think the character is written pretty thin. They hang a lot on Blue Falcon and his motivations. And we spend a lot of time with him as the connecting point between the gang and this crossover universe. But he's a very weak link. It's it's so awkward because, as we said at the outset, this was meant to be sort of sort of supposed to be like a, a Hanna Barbera like MCU connected universe thing. Mm-hmm. And Blue Falcon isn't compelling enough to be our entry point into that universe. Not even close. And if nothing else, for the the dearth of time that we've spent establishing why we should care, why we why we believe anything about him, especially when right off the bat, Scooby and Shaggy are like, wait a minute. You're not the Blue Falcon. The guy that we already don't care about, but at least we know exists, you're not him. We realize this is Brian or Brad. I don't even know. It's Blue Falcon's son who's taken over for Blue Falcon who's retired. It actually could have been done so well if when Scooby and Shaggy are are a pup and a kid, respectively, they watch Blue Falcon do something on TV, oh, you're so right. and then it's like, oh, this is the Blue Falcon. What a, what a what a heroic figure. This is what we need to dress up as on Halloween segues into the Halloween scene. And that way it's really communicated to us that like the Blue Falcon is a figure. But when we see the Blue Falcon for the first time, it's not even apparently clear to us as the audience that it's not the original. Maybe that was intentional though. Dynamite is Ken Jong. Dynamite is Ken Jong. <clears throat> I I gotta say, I think Ken Jong knocked it out of the freaking park. He 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 was very, very good. He has one He's talking about how Blue Falcon, so the original Blue Falcon has retired to somewhere in Florida, and Ken... I'm laughing just remembering He, he says, thing. yes, we miss him very, 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 and then... Blue Falcon, oh, he's, he's glitching. Here, I'll fix this. No, I'm not done. Very, very, very much. <laughs> Great gag. And, whoever, whoever wrote that into the movie, five stars. I think it's a combination, and I don't know who it was, what team was working on Dino Mutt and nothing else, but that team gave him good dialogue, they worked with Ken to get good deliveries, and they, the pacing of how they've timed and edited out the beats of his jokes just work way better than everybody else's. There's a moment, I gotta back way up, to when Scooby and Shaggy are walking out of the house going on their Halloween run when they're kids, and Shaggy says, so I have, I'm sorry I have to say this, it's just so picky, but I love Halloween. No, Scoop says, I love Halloween. One full second moment. Shaggy. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the, what, what are you trying to communicate here? The emotional beats are, are inconsistent, but there are some great ones, which is what really breaks my heart about this. I'm sorry to take us so far off of uh, 
the introduction here, but we've really learned our secondary cast here, Dino Mutt, Blue Falcon, and Dee Dee Skies. We, we see then that they're being chased with an amazingly designed ship. It's, it's perfect. Oh, chef's kiss. Um, first context for some listeners who aren't familiar with the Hanna-Barbera universe as a whole, Dick Dastardly is the villain from the Wacky Racer series and often had these really, like, just, just he drove a lot of vehicles or flew a lot of vehicles that had really excellent they were like clunky and like rusty and they just had this like this this feel to them he drives or pilots this enormous skyship and it's i i think it's perfect it it is like wacky racers but like high definition it looks so good i think you're totally right and i mean we can compare it to the wacky racers animated series that came out not too long ago this looks really really good Didi, again, the exposition just really shouldering the burden here, says that Dick has found one skull of Cerberus. He needs the other two. Cerberus, three-headed dog, guards the Greek underworld. That's all you gotta know. Whatever. <laughs> one little joke I want to throw in here that if if I do take screenshots and put captions, I'm sorry, I'm just gonna copy it because it's too funny to me. It's so perfect. After Scooby and Shaggy have been involved in this amazing... Uh, all these these flips, these 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 aeronautical escapades... Their faces are very, like, warped, as if they've been sort of, like, yeah, just just subjected to, like, high-velocity speeds or whatever. Mm. And they look like a Scooby and Shaggy if Junji Ito had uh, designed them. <laughs> please, please caption that and give me that, because I, I might have missed that. I was taking a note or something. Um, they managed to get the leftover... The, remember the robot that you, you loved how it was destroyed in the LA? Yeah, that's right. They get that robot from uh, the attendant, Judy Takamoto, um, and and Velma has it. She's sort of um, taking it apart in the back of the mystery machine, and she says, "Guys, mm. this thing is incredible," which I assume is Spanish for incredible. And it's the one little whisper that they sort of sprinkle in here um, that she's Hispanic, and it's never done again. It's not like she's not like a she's not like Dora the Explorer. You know, it's just literally just like one line reading. That makes sense, though. I I. I think they they have to walk the line between being too performative with it and and acknowledging explicitly like this is a Hispanic person that we have in the cast. This is a change from tradition and like get used to it, appreciate it. It's cool. Or like Blue Beetle and Teen Titans. That's what I think of when I think of a character who like has to pe- who peppers in like span- like Spanglish. Yeah. They basically just find out what Dee Dee Skies has already said that Dick Dastardly is whatever, getting Cerberus heads, who cares. There's there's a little um part there where they're talking about like one of his, one of Dick's crimes is that he uh, doesn't pay for Netflix. Yeah, they they do uh, using other people's Netflix account bits, which I can only imagine will age indefinitely. Here's what I don't get: it's Daphne who says that's not fair to the people who do pay for Netflix, and Fred is the one who says do you have to pay for Netflix. I feel like Daphne is the one who should have said that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're playing Fred as dumb there, when it's not really a dumb thing. Or it's, it's not the kind of dumb that his character aligns with. They should have, they should have set it up to sort of provide the backstory that Daphne is rich, so she doesn't know that you have to pay for Netflix. That's they, my two cents. I think it's possible because uh, so far I don't think they've established that Daphne is rich. That we're pivoting off of that for this version of Daphne, which I think it's it's okay. I think they're they're struggling to give Daphne um, stuff to do here. Fred's kind of the the butt of jokes, and yeah, he's the muscle, he's the driver. Velma gets on the computer and then delivers 30 seconds of dialogue intermittently um, to tell us why we should care about what's happening elsewhere in the film. Daphne doesn't have all that much to do most of the film. 
I, I will spare a very, very, very few seconds just to say mm-hmm. we go back to Dick Dastardly, Dick Dastardly's airship. He lambasts a gold robot for not capturing Scooby and Shaggy, rips its head off, and I, I think in a way that was so the action there seemed a little a little like visceral to me. Replaces that mm-hmm. robot's head with with a, a dust devil. I want to go back very very quickly and say. When the gang are kids in the haunted house, the way they direct the ghost moving around is actually very scary and I think would be terrifying for children. I think you're right. It, that's probably one of the, the scariest moments of the movie. It's the most realistic and the most grounded in a lot of ways. I thought that the, the Dick Dastardly sequence was kind of clunky. Again, like very exposition heavy. I think Jason Isaacs, who does the voice of Dick Dastardly, actually does a fantastic job. He's good. He's very good. I uh, I really think he knocks it out of the park. And the the longer we spend with Dick Dastardly, the more compelling he becomes, and the more we realize that this is his story. Everyone else is just walking through it. The, the other point of that sequence is that um, Dick bemoans the fact that he has to rely on these cute little cherubic robots instead of his his true sidekick, which is Muttley. Mm-hmm. Then we're back at the Falcon Fury. We're kind of doing a lot of quick intercuts here for the early mid part of the movie, establishing dynamics that to me never really cohere. I wrote in my notes that dynamics are weird because mm-hmm. um, Scooby and Shaggy go, they raid the fridge, they're going to make a lot of food, whatever. They don't actually eat any of it, which is disappointing. Yeah, and Brian, Blue, Blue Falcon, oh, I love it. These guys are great. And it's it, it, that seems unwarranted. Like, why does Brian love Scooby and Shaggy? Is it because, and this I think they could have played into is it because they aren't as serious as dino mud and dd skies i think that is the reason but they don't explore that nearly adequately enough and falcon is again he's the linchpin of these relationships scooby and shaggy he likes them dd skies and dino mud he's trying to avoid them but everybody's got eyes on blue falcon we're looking to him to proceed with action and it's so so inadequate how much we understand about his character to give his actions and the consequences depth the, the second Cerberus skull is in the Gobi Desert. Velma finds out their research. It's a lot of quick cuts, right? It's back and forth. It's back and forth. They find out that because Dick Dastardly stole, like, dog records or something, it turns out that Scooby is a descendant of Peritas, who is the dog of Alexander the Great. And, yeah, I, I really don't like the pacing of this point of the movie where every like basically every five minutes we cut back to Fred, Daphne, and Velma in the van, which is a context I really like spending time with. But it's there just to see them huddle around a computer and deliver dialogue about something else, which th- we're th- if we needed stakes, we needed them before we got there. And it's it's so tell it's I don't know, just the fact that they've this happens in the movies and 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 on the show, but not to this extent where it's like we've taken Scooby and Shaggy and we've really separated them from the rest of the gang, but for so long. We're at this location where they expect to find one of the skulls of Cerberus. It's kind of an abandoned carnival in the middle of nowhere. We quickly find out Dick Dastardly set this up. I, I think the, the main notable part here is that um, Blue Falcon, in spite of having his father's supersuit or a revamped supersuit, is a coward at heart and actually runs away with Scooby and Shaggy. He and Shaggy spend a lot of this, uh, this set piece together, kind of like trying to stay out of trouble and cowarding off of each other. Dick Dastardly corners Scooby and Shaggy in a little... Uh, arcade and directly tells them that Scooby is the only one who's important and Shaggy's inconsequential and then he zaps him with like a sci-fi gun into a Ferris wheel where um, Blue Falcon has sequestered himself is hiding away. The one part I want to I want to note there because it's just making me think now 
Blue Falcon wants to throw like this zap grenade or he doesn't know to throw this zap grenade that Shaggy does because Shaggy's a Blue Falcon fan. He's like, no, use this grenade over here, there. It, it's, it's a Falcon bomb. It's an F-bomb. It's an F-bomb. It drop, you need to use the F-bomb. Whoa, let's keep it PG. I actually really like that. I, and I'm going to use the opportunity to make F-based jokes to say that Falcon has two books he hawks later on. His dad's autobiography. His dad's autobiography. Not Falcon Around. <laughs> and I think his just, just Falcon, Falcon Around. Around. So good. These are, these are F-word-based jokes, like slant rhymes that, oh, for me, really landed. But when Shaggy was showing this knowledge and this interest in Falcon's superhero dumb, it made me realize that Shaggy's a conflict character. This is why the movie's broken from the ground up. Shaggy's a coward who idolizes heroes and wants to be like them, but at the same time doesn't, and doesn't picture that being a part of himself at all. And, and it's not resolved by the end, really. It's, I don't think it's explored. I think it's, it's a straight conflict that just... Oh, you don't, you don't know, actually. I don't know. I don't know where this movie goes, but I know at this stage they're not setting it up like they're aware that they have this, that they're doing this. Dick Dastardly and Scooby have a little, uh, a little conversation in a funhouse mirror maze. Um, and and uh, this is the second part where Scooby's voice is sort of like played for laughs where he's like uh, but my friends call me dick rick no you do rick dick Rah. rick no dick with a d dick uh, dick dick uh, rick with a d and the thing is, <laughs> anyway whatever no, i'm not gonna get into it's, it it's very funny and i i do think jason isaacs does an unbelievable job of selling his introduction of like the music swells dick Dastardly, or what, I can't remember how the pacing is, but it. Wham. He's, he's excellent. He's excellent. And after Scooby does the the joke, name joke, and we see Dick just screaming his own name, Dick, 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 Dick. It, it's it's really it's so funny. It's so delicious. It's got pathos. It's got it all. He he really he he plays encaps like in, encapsulated rage so well. He really does an inferior rage, but still just scary enough to make him the villain. Ultimately, they escape. I think the set piece is not badly done in terms of like superhero action movies. I feel like it's delivering on that front. There's one moment I want to go back to where Scooby is in a bumper cart and he turns around and he comes literally like nose tip to nose tip with Dick Dastardly. And he's like, and um, Dino Mutt comes out of nowhere and he kicks Dick Dastardly. And Dick bodily falls to the ground like a normal human man. And not like a cartoon character. Because, you know, if you want violence to be sort of appealing and mm. fun, it's just like, oh, I fell into, like, boxes. Or, like, oh, I, I've, like, tumbled. But he really, like, collapses after this blow. <laughs> you know, I think this movie is, again, uncanny in some ways. It's too realistic with some of its physicality. Yeah, it just, you have to strike a balance. I, I think this is something that keeps happening with these very realistic movies is, like, we have all this technology. We can make things look real. But we watch cartoons because they're cartoons. They're safe to a degree. One other note I have to make, just because it's here in my notes. Every time Dick Dastardly is on screen, club beats. Get ready to hear that deep beat. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not notice that? It's like... No, I don't. It threw, a, it threw up like pulsing bass every time Dick is on the screen. Man, well, you know what? I'm, I'm back to watching this uh, tomorrow or something, so... Um, so Scooby and Shaggy basically relay what Dick told them. Uh, Brian is like, ha, I knew this guy was special. For some reason, because he finds out that Scoob is important, he wants to make him into a superhero. It's, it's a super, super shortcut. It's a leap. It's a little bit of a leap to be like, oh, Dick is interested in you, so you are a hero. 
I guess you're Dick's enemy, that you're a hero. I guess it's, we don't even put words to the logic that is in Brian's head. And it's a problem because the logic in Brian's head drives half of this movie. Yeah, because here's the thing. I talked, we talked a little bit about the relationship between Dee Dee and Brian and Dynamut, but, but Brian is effectively the boss. They have to do what he says. They don't have... They, they don't actually control anything. Yeah, he's the white man who inherited the business. Of course, the um, the the woman of color and the robot dog, two of the most oppressed my, like groups in America, <laughs> have to follow his... Mm, I don't like this bit. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's in my mind, it's a huge problem. It's problematic, and it's a huge problem for the story. The, the, one of the big moments is that Scooby actually has to remove his collar for, for the super suit to be sprayed onto his body. And this makes Shaggy sad. And we see this... We see this, like, machine, like, tugging at his collar, like, because the machine stops spraying the spray tan body onto Scoob. This is, like, like nude <laughs> body paint that <laughs> they're putting on Scoob, basically. I should have said this earlier, way in the beginning, but, again, we had technical difficulties. But to me, this is just my opinion. You can agree with it or mm-hmm. you cannot agree with it. Scooby-Doo okay. without a collar is cursed. I hate, I hate the sight of Scooby without a collar. It's a cursed image. We can never sustain it. And to be fair, when he does get the superhero outfit, it's got one of the, like, a collar-looking thing built in. Yeah, well, he's clothed. He's clothed, so I don't mind. But, like, naked Scooby, I hate, I hate the sight. I hate the image of naked Scooby. In my mind, and this could be something else entirely, but it's kind of a thing when you see, like, a friend without glasses, you always see with glasses if they get contacts. It's just like, this isn't the, who, who, where's Evan? Where, who, it's Superman. <laughs> Clark, Clark Kent. Where's Clark Kent? Oh, oh, there's my mild-mannered buddy. I'm so glad that our listeners know exactly what we're talking. I'm, I'm sure they can. These, I'm sure they can gather these visuals. Um, but then at that point, moving forward, basically the plot beats are gonna be, basically the plot beats are gonna be Scooby is a hero and Shaggy's left behind. We're basically at the end. We're almost at the end of this extremely long episode on half the movie. We're an hour and a half in recording time, listeners. I sure hope it's only an hour of playtime for you. Um, we are now at the, thank God, at the end, this is the last scene. This is the last sequence of scenes to, to this episode that we're recording right now. We're back in the mystery machine. They are trying to drive to Dick Dastardly's uh, base of operations or junkyard, I believe it is. And, and a lot of this, I actually wrote verbatim a lot of this dialogue because it was so good. The dialogue, the, the Fred Daphne Velma um, road trip scenes made me wish that was the movie. I would watch that movie uh, ten times over. That's it's it's good dynamics I think between the three of them. Velma is telling Fred that like his shortcut is actually like X number of meters longer, and Fred is saying, "Velma, I don't know, even know what that means. What are we in Europe?" Scooby or Shaggy posting on social media, they're with the Falcon. Yeah, he knows about the Falcon. He's like, "Oh, he knows a lot about superheroes." But why do you know so much about superheroes and not the metric system, Fred? Because I'm an American man. And that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is maybe the best line of the film. It, it's really, it, to me, I, Zac Efron, a, really, a real milk toast performance. I think that right there is my favorite bit. Like, this little bit of him is the best he is in the whole film. Um, um, they're, they're pulled yeah. over by a cop. And Fred's like, let me do the talking. Which, honestly, he should because he's driving. He's the driver, so yeah, let him do the talking. Uh, the cop is um, a conventionally attractive blonde woman, apparently. She tells them to get out of the car because Fred is love-struck and can't really give a good explanation. And also, he was driving like a maniac at multiple points in this movie. That's actually true. He was actively swerving around cars in both lanes. And I don't think they're playing it 
for what value it should have to be like Fred's a bad driver is that or do we have any is that a joke is it a he genuinely should have been pulled over like this is not a mistake I think in, in a way it's good it's it sets up what comes next well because we're like oh of course he's getting pulled over the way he was driving and she's like get out and they're like no wait we're chasing a big villain and she's like oh a big villain he sounds dangerous he sounds scary and at this point I was like why are they sexualizing the cops so much this is messed up there's, they've sexualized the cop to the point where, here, I'm going to do it because I have glasses. <laughs> that little moment takes place. Yeah. Can you tell, tell the listeners what I've done? Evan, Evan took off his glasses and kind of gave me, gave me the old uh, come hither eye. And if he had long hair, it would have been blown in the wind. But, but specifically what I did is I took one of the, uh, the ear, I don't know what parts of glasses Oh, and you, you held it in your mouth. Right. Which is, it's, it's too sexy. It's too, far, far too sexy by far. As soon as you're bringing mouth stuff into it, like putting stuff into your mouth, it's pretty far. Um, and I think it's it's only maybe partially redeemed by the fact that as it progresses in this, police officer's like, yeah, but tell me more about the villain. Is he tall? He sounds handsome. He's dangerous. Dangerous, huh? I like that. And they're like, yeah, he you know, he has this huge chin. And, and he's like, oh, but, but um, huge no, in a cool one. way, like <laughs> Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> so, and... Of course, it culminates, and I didn't realize it until the reveal happened, that it's Dick Dastardly who just rips off a full-body outfit, and it was somehow squeezed into that, that little frame. It really got me. Man, that really threw me. I, I, I love... He, he basically... And this is where we end our episode. He whisks them away to his airship, but as it's happening, he says, And anything you say about my face will be used against you in a court of claw. And then a claw like, <laughs> grabs the mystery machine. Brings it right up. And that, I think, is the perfect... Um, the perfect point to take a, a hiatus. Um, it's a cliffhanger. You're definitely interested in what comes next. It only gets better, I hope and trust. Let's spend one minute before the outro. No, no, definitely. Let's let's spend a bit more time talking out what we just watched. Because I think we're in a really special place as, as co-hosts here, where I, where I have seen the entire film. I fall asleep a little bit, but I've seen all of it, and you've only seen what we've seen so far. Let me let me split the difference between you who's seen the movie and me, who's the, our listeners who've only heard half of it. I watched up to the point where Mark Wahlberg's character says, I can totally pound the crap out of this little guy. <laughs> and then I thought, you know what? Let me check my email and see if Evan's given me a reprieve on the second half of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can track that the arc is going to be that Scooby gives up his superhero dumb in favor of friendship with Shaggy. And I hope part of the movie is also that Shaggy accepts other people wanting new things for themselves is not should not be uh, something that they're taking away from him. I think Shaggy's insecurity is a problem in this movie, but the lack of characterization which we've given to Shaggy really uh, really hamstrings the effort of taking meaning out of that. So that's, that's a, I guess, a bit of what I'm anticipating is an unsatisfying resolution on that front and Scooby making the sacrifice for the sake of their friendship, Fred, Daphne, and Velma uh, appreciating Scooby and Shaggy more. To, to paint this film in the context that Marvel Cinematic Universe f- fans will... Uh, be able to connect with putting it in those terms this is like if this is like if you took like like you've seen like civil war yeah you know how spider-man was inserted into civil war but it felt kind of seamless because we we already knew all these characters and spider-man we kind of know who spider-man is well it's they 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 do a really smart job of gauging how much does the audience collectively know about spider-man care about spider-man and how much like mileage can we get out of him without overspending? This movie has no such barometer to gauge how we feel about Falcon, Dee Dee, Dino Mutt. 
It, it assumes at the start that we love them all, that we're thrilled to see them all, and because of that, it can't implement them effectively. This is Civil War, but all of the characters are Spider-Man. All the characters are Spider-Man all the time. Because they're, they're all new. Like, we've barely had a chance to, like, even know who the gang are before we're intru- introduced to Blue Falcon, Dynamite, DD Skies, and then all the villains. And you know what? Credit where it's due, the central gang gets its characterization through the montage. My, my opening thoughts initially, my big thoughts were, I wish I could have been in the room during some part of the pitching or producing process here. Maybe I could have helped it. Like, I had genuine sorrow in my heart that, like, what could I have done? And look, and look I, I, I realize that we're sort of in a place that very, very many entitled fans are where it's like, oh, I could have done a better job than I, this. Uh, I genuinely think that to some extent we could have punched up the script a little more. I think so. I, I, this smacks to me of either production issues or of producer interference where it, it feels like they rounded off too many edges and it no longer has real shape. But... I recognize I'm also an entitled fan who has a lot of allegiance to the OG, OG Scooby-Doo. Um, and this is perhaps exactly what it needs to be for a lot of people watching it. Just a fun watch. But not, I think, for the producers who want a flagship they can keep putting things on. Yeah, it's just, it's it's so much right off the bat. It's, you, you truly can't have the Justice League or the Avengers be your first foot out the door. I don't think so. You got to lay out some groundwork. And I think if they'd taken their time to do that, it's not out of the question. If they focused a bit more on the mystery and if they introduced these other characters, Falcon, Dee Dee, Dino Mutt, like they introduced Samuel L. Jackson's characters in the Marvel movies, like give them little stings here and there. Make them support the main plot rather than making our primary cast support their little escapades that we don't care about. Because the thing is, this this is... And, and I'm not spoiling the movie. I'm not saying anything about what comes after this point. But it's hard for me to believe that in subsequent Hanna-Barbera HBCU movies, Hanna-Barbera Cinematic Universe movies, that there will be a need to bring the gang back in. They can't. Like, what's the point of this journey? Because we can't keep them superheroes at the end of it. And what was the point of setting it up if they're not superheroes? Like, if they're not going to be part of this superhero world that we're launching off? And, and if they are superheroes, are they, are they really still Mystery Incorporated? I know. At that point, do we really are we really getting the most value out of this IP that we could? We could drum something like that up out of anywhere. Any other IP might be just as good. You might as well do the, uh, the Challengers of the Unknown. Exactly. You know what? I, I would love a Challengers of the Unknown movie or series. Please give it to me. I, I'm actually thinking back to that episode we did on the comic book, the Scooby-Doo comic book, and how funny it was that the gag they were going to was, look at all these carbon copy teams that uh, this studio uh, was churning out. I, I love some of the comics that we read because it feels, it feels like comics are low stakes enough, it has few enough eyes on it, that they can do some real wild stuff. Here's one last thing before the outro, and then we're, and then we're going to close and this then, off. Then, then let me give one more detail, and it's just a one-off detail. Okay, so one last thing for me, one last thing for you. Done. In past episodes of our podcast, we've talked about all of the Scooby tropes. Like, there are things that are fundamental to an episode of Scooby-Doo that you watch it. And even if it was different characters, you would think in your mind, oh, that's Scooby-Doo. Even if Mm -hmm. none of the characters were on screen. Um, We know that the Scooby-Dupe was sort of... It's like someone knew about it, but didn't, like, know what makes it that trope. it, It looks like they remembered it, but they didn't go back and look at it. So... Are there, are there any others that you notice that, like, what else t- takes place in the first half of this movie, Scoob, that is Scooby-Doo to you? Honestly, outside of the montage, not a lot. Maybe not 
anything. I mean, the, there's chase scenes, but they don't have the, the typical chase scene quality. Right. To them. Exactly. That's the thing. There are chase scenes. Yeah. But there's no corridors. There's no like secret passages. There's none of that stuff. Even if you didn't have a corridor scene with them going in and out of, of, out of the hallways or, mm-hmm. or something like that, you could still direct action in a chase scene to make it feel like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And it's such a waste in my mind to drop this montage, this not small montage towards the beginning, and not draw value from that. Like, you've, you've thrown up all these great threads. References back to there aren't even references back to the original. They're references to the movie that we're watching right now. And what I'm realizing is, if you want to make a chase scene, a Scooby-Doo chase scene, one of the simplest ways you can do that is just by picking the right score. Yeah, 100%. It just needs to be kind of fun and upbeat, rather than, like, orchestral or clubby and epic. Even something pop-punk mm-hmm. would communicate the fact that, oh, this is, like, Scooby-Doo, this is a Scooby-Doo chase. Yeah, it's, it's thrilling. I want to believe that later in the movie they're going to have an opportunity to bring some of those back, but both from the way you asked that question and, frankly, from the fact that they, they need to up the stakes more and more as the movie goes to adhere to the Marvel kind of climactic arc formula that they're clearly trying to, to achieve. Okay, what, what's your last thing? My last detail was that in the montage, Scooby laughs wrong. Um, and it's not a sound <laughs> thing, because Frank Welker does it right. But mm-hmm. he, he does like the... <laughs> or like, <laughs> whatever the laugh is, it's hey. all... <laughs> yeah, but it's all in the head. Like, they make they bobble his head and stuff. It's in the shoulders, people. Scooby <laughs>, laughs from the shoulders. Is, wow. I thought I was being pedantic, but you're actually right on the money. It's in the shoulders. It makes it sneaky and kind of fun, and, and it uses his physicality, which is it, his greatest asset. Um, that's part one of SCOOB Scoob exclamation point. When we come back next time, I want to talk about how I realized the title of this movie, which I hated before we started, became in the course of watching and thinking about the movie, maybe my favorite part about it. You've made me so excited to, to record the next part because I can't wait to hear what your reasoning is for that. I wanted to throw down that little, uh, that little teaser, come back, and I, I'm, I'm eager to break this down and also hear your take on the title and the ending of the film. I also think our, our second part of this will go a lot faster because there's a lot more action, and that's very easy for us to breeze through. And we don't have to whip up any characters either. I probably should have suggested we cut the movie earlier at an earlier halfway point to, to account for the drumming up, but it was a lot of fun watching even if I had to take breaks at times because it was painful and I wanted to Google stuff instead. I, I had a really fun time at many, many points of just half the movie. I'll say up front, even though I will say that at the end of it, I turned to my brother and apologized. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that is a true fact. That is something that happened. Oh, that's funny. I'm sorry. There are a number of points that I thought were delightful and genuinely funny. And a lot of the performances, I think, are are extremely, extremely well done. That's fair. And, you know, I, I laugh that hard, but it's just funny because I like when I got halfway through the movie, I got a text from Tony Cervoni apologizing for the movie. So it's, you know, <laughs> so it goes. So um, there are many things that I think that I would change about this particular recording. We had a lot of technical difficulties early on. And um, even though my levels kind of leveled out um, in a a decent way. There's going to be some issues editing it, but there's one thing I would change primarily. Do you know what that is? I really don't. What I think would be so helpful for these like long marathon um, runs of podcast recording is if I had either a catheter or a diaper. At some point, whenever we record long, I need water to hydrate to keep my voice in tip-top shape, but I need to pee so badly. 
That's, um, you know, I'll hear you. My thing when we record this long is that I get really hot and sweaty because I can't turn the AC on. It's right next to where I record. <laughs> okay, as you said that, um, your, your partner behind you leisurely takes a long sip of her cool <laughs> drink. <laughs> and, and wiped sweat from her brow that wasn't there when she entered the apartment from the hot outdoors. No, like, I, I need water. I, I almost, like, at one point just wandered away as you were talking. <laughs> just so thirsty <laughs> was I. It's like, oh, shoot, no, I need to listen. I need to be here. <laughs> and my AC, which, you know, I'm going to turn it on now. We're in the outro. You guys can deal with that noise. So next time, get ready to hear. Let's plan ahead. We'll have a more hydrated read. Uh, I want to run through a lot of things very, very fast. Uh, Facebook.com slash Scooby Dudes. Uh, Twitter.com slash The Scooby Dudes or at The Scooby Dudes. Send us an email. I will respond. Luke will also respond. That's Scooby Dudes Podcast at gmail.com. Um... I, I wasn't paying attention to which ones you said, so I don't know which ones. I said, are, I said all of them. You said all of them. And those are the places you can see us. Um, here's, here's something that I, that I also want to say. I, I've said this in the past. I think it's still true. We are, as far as I know and can tell because I haven't looked at everyone, we're the best-reviewed Scooby-Doo podcast on the internet. Ooh. Looking through our past reviews, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's a little bit of reviewer inflation <laughs> And and you and I know why that is. Some you know, it's just people who really love us so much that they sort of maybe double dipped a little bit. I would love it. I would love it so much if those of you who have not, if you have an iTunes account, if you don't, please create one. Please, if you like what we're doing, leave us a five star review on iTunes. Because it, it honestly it helps us it helps other people discover our podcast. And I just think it's fair. Like, if you like what we're doing, like, let us know in that way specifically. I, I, that would be so great. I think that that would be really great. If you can keep that keep that going. If you don't like it, if you think we've changed or it's not as good as it used to be, as ever, do not write a review. Keep those, <laughs> keep those words off of our page. We don't need to hear that, man. Um, um, and if you would like to declare Evan's undying love for me, please put that in a review. Uh, get it out to us. Five stars. Evan loves me. Get it on. Uh, last thing for me. Um, you can find me on TikTok at KFedOfficial. That's K-F-E-D official, like Kevin Federline, like Britney Spears' ex-husband. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course, for me, TikTok, um, B Spears on a fish. You can, <laughs> you can find me. <laughs> Luke, uh, look, I'm looking this up, and this is just this is just short 30-second videos of you impaling insects. <laughs> I, I don't want to help the flower population. I'm trying to, <laughs> to, to, to kill green spaces around me. Darn those honeybees. Um, you, you can also find me at WaspReleaser69. <laughs> I'm, I'm breeding and releasing wasps, which are trained to kill honeybees. <laughs> um, lastly for me, I am mm. in the process of creating a Facebook page where you can watch yes. videos of me reading romance novels. Um, I will also be live streaming specifically to that page, so you will not have to add me as a friend on Facebook. Probably by the time we record our next episode, I will be able to share a link to that. Folks, treat yourselves and and go find that and listen to it. It's it's so much fun. It's it's my favorite every part of my Thursday. It's like it makes my week. Uh, and that's it. I'm I'm also very sweaty. I decided to wear sweatpants for this uh, for this recording. I smartly wore shorts and a tank top. I'm realizing now that's two more articles of clothes than I can take heat wise. Um, so next time, get ready for the the Scooby nudes. Um, coming no, genuinely, you. I will probably record a shirtless if it's like this again. Uh, let's see, listeners, if you can hear the difference. So, recording shirtless, just like you do the romance novel, though. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, listeners, we love you. We love the pod. Send us nice words and feedback. We always love it. And Evan, you know what I'm going to say, man. I, love I stopped recording like five seconds ago. <laughs> oh, <God damn. laughs> Whoa. Did we just get dropped into the middle of this episode? I, I think we did. Where, 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 where? We were just talking about Scoob, I think, and now we're here in this big, empty white space. It's like an uh, an uh, an Apple store, <laughs> or the or the interior of the Blue Falcon. You said this large, empty white space, and I was like, Congress? Yeah, pretty much. Um, while 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 we're here, while just we're gonna take this time to really, really quickly say, listen. We have some new art. We haven't done this in ages, some new art for this episode. Oh, yeah, let's plug that here really quick because I don't think we do it in the other recording that we just dropped out of. What? Who Who can we thank for this incredible art? That If you haven't seen it, you got to go to scoobydudes.com and check it out. Incredible work by Beth Turnsek, uh, who you can find on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. <laughs> Various iterations of Roland Rabbits. Go to scoobydudes.com. You, you can hear that my mechanical keyboard. This is helping put our listeners in in the mood to uh, to look that up. So go to scoobydudes.com slash artists. Go to scoobydudes.com slash artists. You can find all of Beth Turnsex uh, information right at the top. And that's a great way to support someone who has decided to support, support us. We've partnered with her and I'm it's very gratifying for me to be able to do that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Beth, and thank you, listeners, for checking her work out. One last thing while we're in this void. Oh, what, what can we do in the void? Listen, if our listeners can leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Ooh, that'd be nice. that's this whole thing where I'm going to read it. If you do that, send us an email at scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com, because I no longer get notifications when we get a review. And we don't do the podcast as regularly as we used to, so we're not necessarily checking all the time, but please do feel free to reach out and do write that review in that review. Feel free to make Evan say something to me that he maybe wouldn't say to me in real life, like that he uh, loves Luke, me. Luke, I'm getting pulled away. Like that he loves me. No, 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 no. no. <laughs>